Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, we are talking to a candidate for president, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. Now, while the rest of the Democratic field is sprinting to the left on a lot of issues, Klobuchar is taking a little bit more of a centrist role. She supports things like Medicare for All, but as an aspirational goal. Instead, if she gets elected, she said she'll first focus on legislation that could be easier to pass, like maybe lowering the age when you could get into Medicare. Listen in this podcast to how she talks about how she gains consensus. It's an insight into how she works as a senator and possibly as a president. But could that sort of incrementalism and centrist approach work at this moment when many Democrats, at least the loudest ones, are clamoring for big, bold ideas to big problems? And yes, I ask her about the infamous eating salad with a comb incident, and I ask her a nagging question I've had about that whole scenario. Amy Klobuchar, next on It's All Political. And here's my interview with Senator Amy Klobuchar. Senator Amy Klobuchar, welcome to It's All Political. Well, it is wonderful to be on and be in beautiful San Francisco. I, I wish we could like see what we're at. We're actually right here well, in the Presidio. Well, we're in the Presidio, which yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful place and actually headed up by a Minnesotan, Jean Fraser. Wow. Uh, yes, her dad uh, was my neighbor for years and was the mayor of Minneapolis. Well, I did not, I did not the, even know there that. There you that go. Yeah, we're Presidio friends. Presidio knowledge. Yes. Okay, so we're also here in California where there's a lot of support for Medicare for All. And I know you support it as an aspirational, I'm using my air quotes there, uh, goal, long-term goal, but you support ways to get everybody covered, like lowering the age of buying the Medicare, Medi-Cal, Medicaid, I'm sorry. Um, why take that incremental approach? Well, universal health care um, must happen, and we must be covering everyone. And my goal here is to say, what can we do most immediately right away? I was a strong and am a strong supporter of the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. That was very hard to get done, difficult to implement, but it has become quite popular. Why? People don't want to be kicked off of their insurance for pre-existing conditions. They want to keep their kids on their health care until they're 26. And so what I would like to see is do the one thing that didn't get done. There were many things. Okay, two major things. One, a public option. And that can right. be Medicare-based or Medicaid-based. I'm on two bills that do that. Mm -hmm. And so that would allow for a less expensive option, get rid of the middleman, and have it out there. And what I think will happen is more and more over time, people will gravitate over to that option. And eventually you like can move. Like it was with the Affordable Care Act, people will it will, their appreciation for it will grow the longer they have Completely. It. Is that, is and I think that is a better transition for us right now and something that can be more immediately done. And remember how important that was and how disappointed people were. We couldn't get that public mm -hmm. option. Um, the second thing is pharmaceutical prices. Um, and that means unleashing the power of 43 million seniors to negotiate prices under Medicare. I would love to see my colleagues who have not voted on this vote on it because I think we will win. Less expensive drugs from other safer countries like Canada um, and um, making sure that um, we um, bring prices down that way. Stopping pay for delay uh, where uh, basically big pharma is paying generics off to keep their products off the market. Those are just some of the ideas. And uh, we see the Affordable Care Act. It was a beginning and not an end and we have to move on from there. What uh, Free college tuition is another thing sort of uh, that a lot of your competitors are talking about. 
Uh, here in San Francisco, community college is free to uh, all city residents, but you're not in favor of that, and you're proposing other ways to make college. No, I am in favor uh, of community college you free. Are, you're okay. Strongly. So two years uh, or, or? Two years, two years yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm, in fact, on Tammy Baldwin's bill to okay. do just that. But tuition-free college. You're tuition, not, you're tuition not No, I am for free college for one- and two-year degrees. Okay. Perfect. And that was something President Obama wanted to see mm-hmm. that we may have in certain areas, mm-hmm. like you do, but we do not have that across the country. And I think that... That is the way that you get kids who, a lot of kids that aren't even graduating right now from high school, mm-hmm. you just make that transition so much easier, and we have so many jobs that could be served with one- and two-year degrees. I'm also in favor of expanding Pell Grants in a big way to make it easier for people who can not afford college costs to be able to afford college. And then I'm in favor of refinancing student loans. Uh, you know, I figure if uh, billionaires can refinance their yacht, students should be able to refinance their student loans. And just doing anything we can to make college more affordable. We were here, you were here just uh, completed a um, roundtable discussion on climate change here. <laughs> you have signed on to the Green New Deal. What would be the first piece of legislation out of that that you'd like to tackle as president? The first thing I would do is, which you don't need legislation for, is to uh, sign us back into the International Climate Change Agreement. Uh, when Donald Trump took us out, which I was, I know that he does things that, for me, like I get more shocked every day, but this was, we were the only country except for Syria and Nicaragua then that wouldn't be in it. Well, they joined it, so now it's just us. That's the first thing. The second is the clean power rules and the gas mileage standards. That's something you could actually put out there by rule. President Obama had done that, and the Trump administration dialed it back. It's a regulatory order. Right. The president can do that but without the first Congress. legislation, so I would push those just because you can get some immediate gain out yeah. of them. And then the legislation... Um, one of the reasons I was here today, why I was in Tampa Bay talking about this, is to get ideas. And clearly building codes are part of this. Um, uh, looking at more incentives for renewable energy. Uh, just doing everything we can. The electric grid. Um, and people say, well, how can you pay for part of this? Well, look at the Republican tax plan. Every point they went down on the corporate tax rate mm-hmm. was $100 billion. What, um, what was something that you heard today at the roundtable that you like, oh, that, that opened your eyes about something? Uh, just the numbers in California, what California has done, uh, what the Bay Area has done in terms of um, uh, meeting their climate goals, that was pretty extraordinary. I had heard about it, but I hadn't heard the numbers. Uh, the other thing was the uh, forest fires um, and how some of these smaller communities uh, have to have given tools to adapt and tools to be able to protect themselves from the climate change that's coming. I've heard it in my own state, but it was interesting to hear uh, the woman who represented parts of California uh, that Butte, were more Butte rural, mm-hmm. yes. to be to compare them to northern Minnesota, and it just reminded me that we have rural areas everywhere that are very focused on trying to protect themselves, and that we also have to give them the tools. And so this is a, a approach. And when you look at what happened to Paradise, nothing can be more apparent. That video of that of the. Uh, the, dad, Ma, the dad trying to drive his little girl through the lapping fires, knowing their house is probably burning and singing to her. When you look at that, you realize, you know, this isn't economic versus the environment. It's like they're trying to pit it. This is economic because if we don't do anything, we're going to be so hurt economically. And you look at homeowners insurance going up 50 percent. And 
my argument coming from the Midwest is that yes, there's coastal arguments, but fire happen everywhere. Uh, you've got rivers flooding right now in the Midwest. Tell me that's not about climate change when you have these record weird weather events and more snow than we've ever had and all of this was predicted or you have droughts like we've never had and right now as we speak uh, these rivers are flooding in the midwest do you think that that's and you, you mentioned this several times in your in the in the uh, in the roundtable discussion where the an economic argument is something is that more of a universal you you've prided yourself and in fact there's a study out today that, that talked about you're one of the people who work across the aisle more mm -hmm. than other senators um, why does the economic argument work the best? Is it because something it's something we all relate to, or, yeah. or what? Yeah, yeah. That's basically and it, it reaches people who already see it, um, like I do, as a moral and environmental argument, as something that's going to hurt people of color more than mm -hmm. other populations. If you want to reach beyond those arguments to get at some of those people that have been thinking, is this really going to affect me? you got to make that economic argument. And it, that helps with other people, too. Everyone sees it as an argument that unites people more because they don't want their homeowners or their renter's insurance to go up. Um, they, um, all of them don't live on oceans. Um, in fact, some of the senators that haven't been as helpful in climate change may live in the middle of the country. So you want to make those economic arguments about floodplains and about, um, about what you see if you've got fires throughout the forested areas and lapping into urban areas. You have got to make those arguments and of the, the loss of the lives of those firefighters in, in Arizona. You have to make arguments beyond just rising ocean levels. How do you deal with something like this where you know, we now have 70% of Americans believing that climate change is real, which mm -hmm. is the record amount, mm -hmm. but there's a disconnect between what Republicans in Washington believe and, and, and their constituents believe <laughs> yeah. on this issue. How do you do that as someone who yeah, prides herself when, as when a When Senator Inhofe brings in a snowball yes. and says, oh, see, geez. hey, there's yeah, no please. climate change. Or when the president calls me snow woman and says, yes. because there was a blizzard at my announcement, yes. uh, that, that that means that we aren't having climate change. Yeah, I mean, these are not, least, yeah. yeah, it worked out fine. And then I said, I wonder how your hair would fare in a blizzard. I, I saw that, too. Yeah. Yes. Um, so but how do, you, I, how do you bridge that? I think you do it with their constituents. 2018 was an election where climate wasn't the main argument, but there was a lot of discussion. And so a lot of people went to the polls, voted for candidates that basically would be better on environmental issues. And that sets the table for 2020, where there's going to be a big debate, not just about is it happening, because most people are there. The yes. debate is about what the solutions are. And so um, you do it with their constituents. You right. do it by figuring out what makes them tick. So I have passed a number of conservation bills uh, through the Farm Bill and funding for conservation by reaching out to those Republican senators who care about hunting and fishing, who care about that part of the major economy. Uh, Senator Thune and I did the sod saver bill, um, and uh, he's not necessarily good on climate, uh, but he cares about the conservation. So you look for those things. Senator Hoven and I did a bill that hasn't passed yet uh, that allows uh, nonprofits, including places of worship, uh, to upgrade their buildings um, and creates incentives for them to do that to make them more energy efficient. Oh, okay. Senator Portman and Shaheen worked on an energy efficiency bill. So you look for that common ground. Do I think that's enough to get us to those climate goals of reducing 3.6 Fahrenheit? No, I don't. But the only 
way you do is to start and then you put in place with the help of constituents and a outcry across the country, you do bigger things at the same time. The, that's sort of, uh, that's very uh, insider good knowledge. It's of, insider, of, but it's, it's, it's all, no, no, no. It's, it's also not, saying get, get them at their core, which is their constituents, where it becomes a voting issue and they're in trouble because they did not side with the people. Um, and I, I think that is much hardcore argument uh, than just, hey, let's work on the bills together. You have to do both. You try to make progress by working on the bills together. And then if they're not going to play ball and the world's getting hotter and hotter and it's getting harder, you push on that. Oh, one other thing. You can push through uh, religious organizations that care about this and also business. Not the chamber right now. They are a problem right. nationally, not in every Religious local chamber. see it chamber. as a stewardship issue. Right. Yeah. And so a lot of our businesses see it for their bottom line, um, including California companies, including some in my state. And, and so they traditionally side with the number of these Republicans, so they've got to also be pushing them. This goes to the core of your campaign, where um, you know, there's a lot of big ideas being talked about, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, this and that. Yeah. Uh, but you're like, let's get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is the way you're going to go at this. Mm-hmm. Is there... I can't really change what I am. Yeah. Is this, this like, is this a, um, is there a fear, do you have a fear that that is, was seen as not big and bold enough for the no, moment? No, because I support bold moves. Yeah. I'm also being honest about, let's try to find common ground where we can. That doesn't mean the bold things won't happen. You know, I'm a co-sponsor of Green New Deal. I mean, that doesn't mean that you won't get there. But I would argue right now we're at a standstill. Mm -hmm. And the only way we start action is by getting there to begin with. And uh, you have been uh, at the forefront before a lot of others about uh, reining in the tech companies. You've, uh, <laughs> you've done this a couple of years ago with Senator Warner. Yes. I've always said don't go just where it's comfortable, but where it's uncomfortable. Yeah. I usually mean that to Republican areas, but now we're going to talk about tech in Northern, in Northern California. California. So, yes. okay. But you're, you're not necessarily up for breaking up the tech companies. You would like to see them regulated in a better mm-hmm. way. You said, you've said our laws need to be as sophisticated as the people who are breaking them. Mm-hmm. Um, um, especially when it comes to privacy. Um, should they be regulated like media companies? Uh, yes. Uh, I see them as for-profit companies. Uh, you'd have different details. You know, they're not, they're different than a TV company. But basically, uh, they have basically, for years have acted like if we do anything to them, we're regulating the internet. No, we're regulating cons- helping to help consumers. That means privacy legislation with Mark Zuckerberg himself said he's open to now with um, notice of breaches so people can find out, making it easier to protect your data. I have a bipartisan bill on that. Um, and then it's also about protecting our elections by making sure we know what who's paying for these ads, where they come from, just like we do for TV, radio, and newspaper. It's ridiculous that they would be regulated differently. And then the antitrust laws. It may mean that parts of them get spun off, but we're not going to know that until we start having the government have the rules in place and the resource in place so they can actually do these investigations. Um, when we had the breakup of AT&T, long distance rates went down. That doesn't mean we're going to break up every big tech company, but it means we have to have the knowledge about what is anti-competitive and what's not to at least put conditions on mergers to be able to spin some of their um, Uh, some of their uh, work off, uh, that could happen. But not if we just sit there and 
weaponize it like Donald Trump does, where he just decides to go after a company because he doesn't like them politically. Right. You have to actually change the structure of our antitrust laws. And the Midwest is an interesting place where I'm from to start that. That is the movement, the Granger movement, the Haymarket strikes, uh, the Pullman strikes, where antitrust actually had its birth. Mm. Uh, the original author of the Sherman Act was a Republican senator from Ohio, Mr. Sherman. Mm. Um, Teddy Roosevelt was from New York, uh, but he spent a lot of time on the West, as you know, and yes. he loved the environment, but he also felt that you shouldn't have these big trusts and was came in as a trust buster. So um, I think that you have to protect people at the same time acknowledging that these companies uh, have been major, innovative, good forces in many ways, employing people, uh, coming up with new ideas, making it easier for people to shop and communicate with each other. But to me, there was just too much of we have your back, and now we have to be much more honest that they've had our back in terms of giving us new products, but now when it comes to protecting our data or protecting our democracy, we have to step in. There has to be a balance. That's, um, one more thing. Uh, well, I have to ask you about the comb story, but mm-hmm. I have a different thing I wanted to ask you about it. And for those who don't know about it, there's a um, New York Times wrote a story about, you, about your history of being, should we say, a demanding boss. And you, you cop to that, correct? Um, and one anecdote is about an aide who brought you a salad in the plane, but you lost the silverware and the plane didn't have any. So you dug into your purse, pulled out a comb, and you ate your salad with the comb, which I think is actually kind of funny. MacGyver. MacGyver. It's very MacGyver's. But I want to know, it's like when the story says, quote, then she handed the comb to her staff member with a directive, clean it. Is that accurate? Yeah, I actually, um, I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot of recollection about this, yeah. except I remember eating the comb. I do know the staff member stayed with me for four years in okay. a senior position. <laughs> that much I can tell you. Yeah. And um, was not the person that was going to give this information. Right. So I just stepping back from that, um, that this is something that... Um, Um, I think is, I've answered many times, and I will say it again. I am so proud of our staff. I love our staff. We have been able to build one of the most productive offices in the country. My chief of staff was with me five years. My uh, state director, six years, going on seven. Um, My campaign manager, 14 years. You don't pull an announcement off in the middle of the snow if you don't have great staff and former staff at your side. Um, And so for me, it is about high standards for myself, those that work for me, um, and those in our country. And I think we need those high standards. Thank you so much for thank being you. on It's All Political. Appreciate it. Yeah. It's great to be on. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Senator Klobuchar for coming on the podcast. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for wonderfully producing this podcast again. And remember, whether you eat your salad with a fork or a comb, it's all political. It's All Political is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.